Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This episode of Silent Giants is brought to you by Ali. Ali, powered by Verizon locations, are developed by Verizon, the world's leading technology company. In collaboration with Ali, a membership-only community workspace for creators. Each location is a community curated powered by the emerging technologies and thought leadership of Verizon. With Ali, Verizon is bridging the gap between startup and corporation by helping the community workspace build next-level ecosystems for entrepreneurs. And now, on to my live interview with Ray Foffer. I think, first of all, when there was a line down the block, which was our third concert in a place called Regent's Park, and we're like, how did these people hear about it? Why do they want to be here? And they all felt the same way as we are. We hate going to gigs where people talk. Yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Uh, yeah. Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music, let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Wanna walk in their shoes, silent giants. Wanna study they move, silent giants. Wanna know what they do, silent giants. Silent giants, y'all. <laughs> this week we have our very first live podcast episode with Ray Foffer, founder of SoFar Sounds. SoFar Sounds is a music event startup company where guests and artists come together to experience music in an intimate and respectful setting at secret locations around the globe. For our first live episode, I stopped by the SoFar Sounds New York City headquarters to chat with Ray about his upbringing in Chicago, his love for music, his experience attending the University of Wisconsin, why he created So Far Sounds, how he was able to make the company a global community around the world, and we even have a short Q&A from our live audience. So, without further ado, let me introduce you to the founder of So Far Sounds, my friend, the silent giant, Ray Foffer. I was like, hey, would you guys be down with doing a podcast? <laughs> and uh, they were totally cool with it, so here we are today, and Hanging out with the man himself. What's up, Ray? Hey. <laughs> All good. Nice to meet you again. <laughs> We're like old friends. Yeah. So we uh, met five minutes ago. Yes. <laughs> but it felt like five years ago. Yeah. Kindred spirits. Amen. So, Ray, tell me about yourself, man. Where are you from? I'm from Chicago. Anybody from Chicago? That was pretty. Oh, hey. <laughs> and I've uh, been around a couple other cities since then. Chicago's a great town. Great music scene. Great music scene. Anybody here can name a Chicago act that you love? Anybody? Chance? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) He's amazing. This is Kanye. Where? Smash, yes. It's Common. Yeah. No ID. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Were you into music as a kid? I love music. Mainly hard rock. Oh, oh, maybe some bands. Led Zeppelin were my favorite. Uh, the Who. I can't hear very well now. As a result of hearing all those things. Blue Easter Cold. It was just like, uh, I was a hard rock freak. Were your parents into music? My dad was into classical music, and he would 
listen in the living room and you had to tiptoe in to uh, because he wanted quiet whenever he was listening. I don't know if anyone had a, parents who were obsessed by music, but and, and if something had happened to me and he was listening, I couldn't get his attention. Didn't matter. You have a rock star name, speaking of music. Ray <laughs> Offer. Uh, thank you. <laughs> what is so do you. Corey Cambridge, not that I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, I'm more like a, like a journalist. Yeah. <laughs> Ray sounds like, yeah, I'd really get into trouble. So what, what, is it, what does your name come from? My name is Raphael. There we go. Okay. And I had a teacher who couldn't pronounce Raphael when I was like 10. And he's like, I can't pronounce it. It's a weird name. We'll call you Rafe. And that was it. It stuck. And it stuck? Yeah. So are you the only sibling? I mean, I have two sisters. Okay. Yeah. I think that plays a big role in like how we are, we develop as people. Mm. How did, uh, where, where do you rank in the- Like the sharing thing? Yes. Like when food is on the table and like who's <laughs> yeah. going to take the, the last piece of pie? So where, where do you rank in the sibling one, two, three? I'm the oldest. You're the oldest? Yeah. Because you're, you know, a lot of I pressure, was, man. I was the jerk. I was, <laughs> you know, I was the difficult one. And so- Does uh, anyone any other, else know the oldest? Can you relate? Yeah. You get blamed for everything. Even if your younger sister or brother does something, yeah, totally. it's always your fault. It was always my fault. And so growing up, what did you want to be as, uh, in your career? I wanted to be a chef. Any, any chefs here? Anyone into cooking? No, I wanted to be a chef from the time I was a little kid. And uh, how you, did you pursue that early on? I burned a lot of things in the kitchen. I <laughs> <laughs> nearly, nearly burned the kitchen down a couple of times. A little bit too young. Yeah. Like, what was the point in your life where you were like, you know what, I'm going to stop pursuing the chef thing? When my dad's like, this does not taste good. Yeah. <laughs> That's typically how it happens for most folks. <laughs> yeah. No, basically, college when I went a different direction. So, yeah. college, where'd you go? University of Wisconsin. I understand there are a few alums here. Yes. <laughs> there, there was someone with a badger shirt on earlier. Yes, a couple of you. I went, went there. I was an English literature major and, and political science. How were you in college? Were you, were you a good student? I was a party animal. There we go. <laughs> I don't remember. The a rock lot. star name. Yeah, I was, I was living <laughs> the name. Yeah. And so yeah. you made I was a social again? chairman of a fraternity. And social uh, chairman. That was, my job was to get parties with the sororities. Like Captain Kekstan. What? Like Captain Kekstan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And we had this intense competition at the school they called humorology, where you would act with a sorority and whoever got the award, it was a big deal at the school. And I was up against uh, another fraternity and sorority combination. And the guy running it years later became the founder of Modern Family, Steve, oh, yeah. Steve Levitan. And he just, they were so good and I felt so bad. It was only like 20 years later. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I don't feel so bad anymore. So how did you know you were going to strike into entrepreneurship? Like, How did that start in your professional career? I think, I don't know if any of you can relate, but I think from the time I was a kid, I didn't like the idea of having a boss as part of it. And I worked for a lot of big companies where it was really stiff and everything was by the book and there were thousands of people. And so for me, it was just having the freedom of running my own thing and going after a, a dream. And what were the roles with the other companies? Um, I was a marketing director and an innovation director. Okay. In uh, Walt Disney. Are you a director? You're high, you're high up there. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. You know, so you I, were I worked, a minion. 
Yeah, but I had to work my way up to okay. get there. And even when you're director, there's like 10 levels up above you. Touche, touche. So, yeah. And so how did you come to create so far? So you might have, I guess, uh, as Sophie referred to, there's been a story, but I was mainly out of frustration. I mean, if you've heard, if you've been, and a lot of you have, we're all going to these gigs where people are talking and texting and doing everything but supporting the artists. So for me, it was a hobby for many years before it became anything more than that. Mm. Just, and it was really just a lot of hard work, a lot of getting people together to hear my favorite new bands. Because you founded the company in, uh, in London? Mm-hmm. So uh, how did two you, other guys. How did you end up two going Brits. to London? Again, it was a dream. When I was a little kid, I went to visit a cousin who was this crazy artist in London. And I just, and she served me beer, which was, <laughs> I'm like, this is great. Artist, beer, I'm in. I was like 11, you know. <laughs> my parents loved my cousin. So I just had an idea that London would be a fun place from the time I was a little kid. And then the music scene, I assume everybody here is into music, but all my favorite bands growing up were English. I mentioned Led Zeppelin, I mentioned The Who, a lot of other ones. And I just thought this would be a great place to live. Because did you make the move to London after the, uh, your career as not a boss? <laughs> no, I worked for a massive company there. They moved me okay. there. It was a dream to move there. I got it. I'm like, this is incredible. I'm in my dream city. And I never looked back. And so how did you come together? Come visit, by the way. I'm serious. I have a, a couch. <laughs> and I'm happy for people to come and crash. But, but cute story, the last time I had someone come uh, and didn't and forgot to tell my two teenage girls uh, because it was a late night and he had played a so far gig and we'd had some whiskey afterwards. I, he's a tall mountain man like guy, like the kind of person who doesn't fit on a couch with a big beard and he was crashed out on the couch in the living room. And I think it was my youngest daughter. I heard a scream. <laughs> and she was going to get her cornflakes before school. Uh, so anyway, I won't make that mistake with all of you. But, but we love to have people come and visit and uh, hit us up. Oh, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'm, I actually am serious. And come to a gig if you don't feel like sleeping at our house. <laughs> and so how did you put together the idea of, you recognize there was a problem with the live music space, uh, with people not paying attention and uh, paying attention to the, to the music. Uh, yeah. What was the first step in creating that first show? So it was finding a musician, which turned out to be one of the other co-founders. Uh, so that was easy. It got harder after that, but that was built in. And then just inviting, there were about eight people okay. along and just saying, do you want to go sit down and hear some music in the living room? And look, this is not a new idea. People have been having concerts and living rooms since Mozart's time. And if anyone's familiar with Indian culture, it's a really big deal across India and house concerts have been here a long time. But I guess what was the big deal to, to us then was none of the nine of us had been to a gig that was quiet, like as ever. And so telling people to just sit down, put your drinks aside and focus, that was the hard part. Just saying, don't sit there and talk, listen to Dave, and then go off and do your thing. Um, so that was actually setting the rules was the hardest part. It's very interesting because, like, you know, I'm a performer as well. And typically, as a performer, you feel like it's the 
it's your responsibility as the performer for that. Make those people be quiet. Like, shut up, you know. Mm. <laughs> Which but has got to be stressful. Very stressful. But it's very interesting that you took the approach of, you know, fixing the venue, fixing the setting to be suitable for the artist. Finding your perfect home was hard. But thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's right. The environment made a huge difference. It was a small living room. And it's kind of hard to get away with talking when you're in the living room. You know, so it, it just kind of didn't happen. And it was magical. The first night it was so quiet, we could hear clocks ticking in the background. And it was something that we wanted to do more of. Uh, you mentioned that the, uh, the co-founder uh, was the first performer. Yeah, there were two co-founders way back in the day. One was a fan like me and the other was a performer. Um, how did you start to you know get more talent to be involved um, in this process? He did. Okay. Musicians know musicians at first, and then he and I would sit and listen and say, does this performer excite us? Would we want to hear them play in a living room? And that was still to this day, that's pretty much, if any of you have reviewed for so far or have friends who might do it, that's all it is. It's just, would this excite you in a small space? Now, how did you get people to want to do this in their home? Uh, it's kind of like a almost an Airbnb of concert kind of way. We begged a lot. Yes. <laughs> and what we found is it was only the people who would come to one would host for the first year at least. It's like, this is strange. I don't want all these strangers in my house. Something's going to break. Something's going to get stolen. But when you went to one and you've all been-ish, when, when you go, you realize that actually people are amazing. And they, they behave, and they're, they're, they're just so lovely. Um, and the first host here is kind of a neat little trivia story. Does anybody know, aside from people who know so far, who was the first host? Has anyone seen Fifty Shades of Grey? <laughs> so Jamie Dornan, the guy, the star, was the first New York host, which was kind of a... He didn't do anything too strange in the living room. <laughs> we were a bit worried. Anyway, that was just a sidebar. You never know who's going to host. And uh, he was the first one. He was the first one we convinced to host in his house. Now, how did you know this was going to become a hobby into something that uh, would become like a viable business? I didn't. I didn't. I always did this for fun. And if there are any entrepreneurs out there or people who want to be an entrepreneur, you want to do something you love because you spend an insane amount of hours on it. I had a full-time job and was working probably 50 hours a week and then so far 20 hours a week at, at least. So... It was more just about need. When so far hit 20 hours doing as a hobby, I'm like, I can't sustain this. And my wife's like, I am going to kill you. All you are doing is so far in work. So you just, it just kind of happened. And, and uh, what were the steps to making so far grow? Uh, it's, you, know, you obviously have you know, the first concert yeah. in your apartment, but when were you kind of recognizing why this is kind of moving I think, first of all, when there was a line down the block, which was our third concert in a place called Regent's Park, and we're like, how did these people hear about it? Why do they want to be here? And they all felt the same way as we are. We hate going to gigs where people talk. So that was the first thing. 
And then the biggest thing was when we started filming it and people would see our footage and go, I want to do this. And, and when somebody called me from LA and someone else from Houston in London and said, I want to do this in these cities because people are talking in my city too. That's when we had a feeling that this was more, this was a community, people around the world who wanted to do something so together. Timeline wise, what year is this? Uh, when we, when it, 2011 was when I actually started getting these calls from people. Okay. Okay. That was crazy. And so you're in London, but how do you start to create this international, you know, infrastructure? So when I worked for Disney, I traveled around the world and I met people and I would just call them up and say, Hey, you're in Paris. Remember when we met years ago, what do you think of this? Do you want to help? And then they would either start it or they'd have friends. So it started from a real community of friends. And that combined with then when people started calling us. Okay. Like the people who have been in New York, early days, they would then move. Like one guy moved to Chicago and he started so far in Chicago. So it became literally people when they left. Guy in Sydney moved to Madrid, was the first one to put a gig there. So it was truly a, a real global network. Uh, I was uh, talking to uh, over dumplings about the McDonald's movie, The Founder. Oh yeah! Have you seen this movie? I have. Uh, anyone seen the movie Founder on Netflix? Very and uh, as the company is ex- McDonald's is expanding, uh, the, the, obviously they maintain a really high quality control. So even uh, though you're in London, how are you maintaining quality control in LA or in Dallas or in Chicago from London and making sure that everyone's getting the same so far experience? We, first of all, we we have simple rules, and we want to make sure you can't start a so far chapter unless you do those simple rules, which are don't talk, have three acts on respect the music, but we listen to music from around the world as a city comes in. So we have a city in Mongolia. Who knows what Mongolian music is like? Yeah, yeah, I figured. <laughs> but, but, we, but we listen, and it's hard to judge the Mongolian music scene, but we have a team of global reviewers who do this. So each city, we actually listen, meet the people on Skype, and get to know them to see whether they can keep it going. Got you, got you. And, so- and, and we shut it down, too. So we had... Somebody in, if it's not good, in Austin who was not like living the, the sort of the vibe that you described, that we've described. And somebody in Dallas actually took a, a, a hidden like spy camera, put in his car, drove three hours to Austin and filmed it surreptitiously, saw what a train wreck it was, and we shut it down. So it goes the other way too. It's like people, and I would say to anybody here, if you go, any so far anywhere in the world, let us know if it's not amazing. Because that's how we keep going and that's how we improve. So that's what happened. So it goes both ways. And at what point did you realize, okay, this is going to be uh, my full-time thing. This is going to be my jam. Mm. It was sort of a, a, a gradual road, but I think it was when we thought, Maybe we can charge for tickets because it was free for five years and it's still free in most of the world. Or we pass a hat. And so when we figured that people would actually pay something to go see it, I realized I could make enough money to keep going. Okay. That was it. That was the first start. So a lot of times on my, uh, on my show, I like to ask folks like their life oh shit moment where they go, <laughs> oh shit, this is like pretty, uh, pretty big. Was there a moment for you where that was an oh shit moment? Right now. <laughs> I don't know how to answer that question. 
I think it was when the first city called me and I couldn't pronounce the name of the city. Wow. <laughs> and I still can't. It's somewhere in Asia. And I'm like, holy shit, there's cities I've never heard of and I can't even pronounce the name. This has gone way further than I ever dreamed. Wow. Uh, what do you think is going to be the future of the uh, concert experience? Because one thing is that so far came at a really you know, pivotal time in music yeah. in, in general based on how people are consuming music. So where do you see like the future of live music going? I think that this sense of intimacy and there are a lot of other companies getting into this space of experiences. I think we're fighting hard to become more human while people are turned into robots. And, and while the word becomes, and while we're addicted to our phone, we want to put our phones down. So I think this whole idea of real human experiences where you can see people, where your phone is secondary, where there's other stuff going on in life are going to accelerate. And music is a dead center in that. Music and pop-up uh, food events and anything where there's some more intimacy will balance the growth of technology. So I think this will be massive. And now there's massive companies getting involved in it. Awesome. So I want to open up to the audience here for some questions. Uh, say your name. Hi, uh, I'm Captain Gowder, and why the name? How that happen? Hmm. Does anyone know Leonard Cohen? So we copied his album, Songs from a Room. Because that's what it was, Songs from a Room. Oh. Ah. <laughs> that's the name. And so far, Songs from a Room was too long, too clunky, so it was short, and so far sounds not like it became so far so good, but it's, it stands for so... Songs from a room. That's how. Uh, Kevin, I just had a question for like about, more about the future. Um, like now you have an app, you have all these different channels to kind of like what like, what's next for so far sound? Like engaging with the artist directly or like labels? Um, like yeah. where do you see so far going? So I I really I have this thing called quit your bar job, which is what I really want to help musicians. If anyone's here is a musician or has friends. I hate that many of them are doing these incredible things but have to have a soulless other thing to sustain themselves. So I want to have an enough so far success that we can help artists with money and promotion on the app and other ways so that I'm not out to get anybody rich, but to be a stepping stone so that if they can make $5,000 in a year or $10,000, it's a piece of them doing what they love full time. And so I want to grow to a place where we can tour them around the world, where we can big up them in any way we can. And the more we do these events, the more we can help that community. What's your name? Uh, Ashley, that was kind of mine. So I'll say, oh. what was your uh, first concert and first album? Does anyone know Stop Making Sense? The Talking Heads? Yeah. <laughs> that was my first concert. They were on tour and they made a movie about it. Mm -hmm. And if anyone saw the movie, there, there was a talking, uh, David Byrne, the lead singer, came out and played Psycho Killer guitar. And then with every song, they layered on another musician until they had like 11 people on stage. It was insane. <laughs> it was so cool. And they're like a legendary New York-based act originally. Yeah. I'm just a fan. I have no talent. Don't ever let me sing. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Thank you. 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 Thank you.
Tchau. 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 Tchau.